Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work, the podcast from the British Association of Social Workers. This is space for conversation, discussion with social workers, the individuals they support, and colleagues working in related professions. We consider the key matters affecting social workers as we explore contemporary issues with a focus at the local, national, and global levels. Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. I'm Andy McClanahan, and in this episode of the podcast, my guests and I will be discussing criminal justice social work, exploring how social workers working in the criminal and youth justice sectors make a positive difference in the lives of individuals who have come into contact with the justice system. With me today are co-chairs of the Baswa England Criminal Justice Group, Caroline Bald and Helen Woods, and Baswa England Professional Officer Wayne Reid. Caroline, Helen, Wayne, welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. How are you guys all doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks, Andy. Good, thanks. Very well, thank you. Thank you so much. Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. I want to know where everybody is, um, because we're all meeting over Zoom. So, Helen, you first, where are you? So, I live in Nottingham City. And that's where you are? You're in your front room, is that right? I am. I'm in my living room in Nottingham, yeah. Okay, wonderful. Uh, Wayne, how about you? I'm in Sheffield, South Yorkshire, also known as God's Country, I'm told. God, so they say if, if God, if that's God's country, he comes on holidays to County Down an awful lot. And uh, Caroline, where are you? Well, today I happen to actually also be in Nottingham. So I came up for another event uh, in relation to criminal records. Wonderful. Well, welcome everybody to Let's Talk Social Work. Today, as I said in the introduction, we're talking about criminal justice, social work, and that may conjure up different images for each of our listeners. For example, I immediately think of probation because in Northern Ireland and Scotland, probation officers are required to be social workers. So it would be helpful if, uh, if we could start with an overview of what criminal justice social work is uh, and examples of the various roles that fall under the banner of criminal justice social work. So in short, what do we mean when we talk about criminal justice social work? Yeah, so it's, it's a really interesting question because... Um, We're often asked um, because criminal justice is done differently across the UK. And so in a nutshell, criminal justice social work is where social work comes into contact with criminal justice. So it can be a a whole range of different roles um, from mental health, where somebody has a mental health need uh, and comes into contact with policing, uh, right through to drug and alcohol addictions and working uh, in charitable sector, for example. Um, But also it's... It's one of those roles that you can apply everywhere. So I would say every social worker is a criminal justice social worker to an extent, because every social worker will come into contact with criminal justice at some point. Okay, so it's not as unique as thinking of only probation as criminal justice social work. It's much, much wider than that. Yeah, I mean, even probation, because I, so I qualified as a social worker. So when I qualified 20 years ago, it was at the time where a social work uh, lost probation to probation in England. Um, and... Coming back down, even as a probation officer, I was working with children and families, adults, uh, mental health, drug and alcohol addiction, things like that. So the the work is very similar, but you're employed by somebody different in England. So what in England, criminal justice social work has become um, a a different role, if you like. So there isn't a a criminal justice social work team, as you would maybe get in Scotland. Um, But people within criminal justice social work will be part of, say, a forensic team. Um, forensic social worker team so they would be somebody with a, a specific knowledge around mental health and uh, criminal justice um, but also you can do all sorts of different other roles as well. 
So you mentioned a wee second ago, um, in England, social work lost probation. In the last episode of Let's Talk Social Work, I interviewed Vivian Guerin. He's the chair of the Irish Association of Social Workers and until quite recently was the head of the Irish uh, Probation Service. And we were talking a lot about probation as a social work service. So I'd encourage listeners to go back and listen to that episode. It's called Counterparts. But coming back to your point, um, Caroline, social work lost probation in England. Explain what that loss meant. I mean, it's, it's hugely significant. It, it was a whole area of practice that, you know, around the time, um, and it wasn't, it was bipartisan, so there was, it wasn't one particular party had a particular view. But the argument was that um, in order to align more with the criminal justice services, such as police and prisons, it meant that criminal justice social work, the, the argument was it was better off coming out of social work. So the whole assist and befriend um, original thought around probation was was really almost uh, taken over by nothing works um, and this idea of punishment back to a punitive approach so it's a, I would say it's probably not it's not the first example because community development I would say was also part of social work and came away um, but it's one of the, the first major examples where um, social work has been fractured um, and also a whole aspect of social work has been taken over in terms of a different type of approach to working. So I guess when people think about um, criminal justice social work, they do tend to think of the sort of probation model um, of the past. And to some extent, that still exists in youth offending services, where social workers will case manage young people on court orders um, and tend to take the sort of heavier caseloads. But there are a range of examples in more formal and informal settings of social workers working in prisons, um, working with people in the community. Um, So there are a range of different roles. And I think importantly, as Caroline said, if you're practising social work, you will encounter the criminal justice system. And it's important that um, qualifying social workers have an awareness of what the criminal justice system is um, and the context that, you know, they may be working with people who are involved in it in some way so they can meet those needs. And that's something I want to come back to later, Helen, is social work training Uh, preparing social workers joining the workforce is it preparing them with the knowledge they need of the criminal justice system but I'm going to come back to that Wayne yeah thank you Andy Uh, well I actually worked for both uh, a youth offending service and the probation service uh, quite a number of years ago now which is where I started my career so uh, in answer to your question what do we mean by the criminal justice service my view is that that is pretty much what uh, Caroline and uh, Helen have said um sort of working with adult uh, and young offenders, um, working with police and law enforcement, um, court service from um, youth court to magistrates court and crown court, um, working alongside other professionals like appropriate adults um, and also solicitors and barristers, um, and very much multi-agency working, uh, especially within youth offending teams where they are multidisciplinary. Um and my uh, role at Baswa has enabled me to come full circle, uh, really, uh, in terms of my knowledge and understanding uh, of criminal justice. Um, because, you know, a lot of the work really is around sort of policy, uh, practice and education. Um, and again, just thinking about what Caroline and Helen were saying, there's been some very significant changes, really, over the last sort of 10, 15, 20 years Um right from the uh, separating of social work from criminal justice, which has already been spoken about. Um, but also I think the emphasis um, on punishment 
um, versus rehabilitation rather than punishment and rehabilitation. It seems to be sort of one or the other, primarily the former, uh, unfortunately. Thanks, Wayne. And the question I want to ask, and it's coming back to something that Caroline said about, you know, if all social workers are coming into contact with the criminal justice system in some form or another, all social workers are criminal justice social workers. So just put that to you then. In the role that you're currently in with BASWA as a professional officer, registered social worker, do you consider yourself a criminal justice social worker? Well, I do, in the sense that I support the criminal justice group at at BASWA. So I work closely alongside Caroline and Helen, who are the co-chairs. And because that was my uh, kind of entry point, really, into working directly with the public uh, under sort of criminal justice, I suppose I've always had that aspect to my professional identity. As to whether my other colleagues, my other professional officers within Basra, England, have that view, I'm I'm not sure. It's not really something we've talked about. Um, It would be an interesting conversation because I would agree that there is an element of uh, social work being generic, really. That's... You know, I'm a sort of social work purist, I think, and I like to think it cuts across all uh, areas. And I don't like the kind of categorization of children, families or mental health or criminal justice. I see it as a generic integral role. So that would be my view. Thank you, Wayne. And what that takes me on to ask then is whether social workers working within youth justice, do social workers in youth justice tend to distinguish themselves from criminal justice social workers who work with adult offenders, or would they regard themselves as part of the same service? So I think there does tend to be a difference in perception between youth offending services and adult um, offending services, such as a probation service. Um, And there is a definite kind of cut-off point to 18 Um, And those young people in that kind of transition to adult services often find that quite a stark change and where it does move to a more punitive model away from a kind of welfare oriented approach. And I think, unfortunately, because of that separation now between social work and probation services, um, there is a bit of a gulf sometimes ideologically, but certainly in terms of practice between those two services. So obviously people co-work However, I think the approaches to service delivery are often quite different. And that's understandable where we're, where we're talking about working with young people. Um, but I think, unfortunately, a lot of shared knowledge um, and, you know, the kind of smooth transition between services has been lost because of that separation. And now in England, you know, his, um, since that split between social work and probation, probation developed its own qualification which was far more geared towards specifically dealing with um, people in the criminal justice system rather than looking at them as a human being in a particular context. Um, So it sort of put them as an offender first and a person second in some respects, um, which again was a kind of a real loss um, in terms of knowledge and and skill. Yeah, I was going to suggest similar in that there was, because I've worked in probation, my career was mostly in probation and then it was in youth offending, but I was working in youth offending with the higher risk young people, uh, so higher risk children. So, um, and it was interesting that I actually found youth offending more punitive. Um, or, and so young people were actually involved in a criminal justice service for, for far lesser offences in terms of seriousness. Um, and so, but I absolutely accept with what Helen was saying that I think social work Generally, we struggle with transitions into adulthood and I don't think social work's unique in that. I think health as well. Um, But I would absolutely echo that having a completely separate education for people coming into probation in England, uh, staffing probation in England, it means that for them, 
they're not able to move around social work as a career in the way that we have. Um, they, you know, they're not able to necessarily go and work um, in Scotland in criminal justice, social work, or, or Northern Ireland because of that social work qualification. But it means also, um, at the time when that qualification was coming out, it was very clear steer that the universities that were already delivering criminal justice social work couldn't apply to then deliver that new qualification. So in a way, there was, by policy, a real divide in that knowledge. Um, and, and there the twain haven't met, um, although increasingly so, there's a, a, a continued conversation about needing to be. So such as, um, a, you know, the pilot of PACT with um, social workers in prison, in women's prisons. Um, there's a recognition now um, of the gaps of knowledge um, of social workers. And I suppose from my perspective, the only thing that we can do as BASWA um, is make sure that our social workers, colleagues, are familiar with criminal justice social work and then make sure that social work education reflects criminal justice as part of the whole aspect of being a human. Thanks very much, Caroline. Um, what I want to ask is uh, is about the, the service users that criminal justice social workers support and also the needs that criminal justice social workers are addressing. What are the unique needs um, that criminal justice social workers are supporting service users to overcome? Um, I think some of it has been touched on already uh, by Caroline and Helen, but issues and needs around substance misuse, perhaps. Um, some of it might be around mental health. Uh, some of it might be around uh, family relationships and communities. Um, there's issues more uh, prominently at the moment around uh, unemployment, perhaps, and people being insecure in their jobs and that impacting on other aspects of their families. Um, I think some some also there could be unhealthy lifestyles and cultures, perhaps, that they're part of uh, also. Um, not an exhaustive list. Um, I think... Um, my observation of some of the needs of um, adult and young offenders are that, you know, over a, the period I've been involved in in this work, their needs probably haven't changed as such. You know, they're essentially the same. They just increase or decrease depending on some of the societal uh, kind of factors at the time, i.e. COVID, uh, you know, Brexit, uh, etc. Um, I think some of it is about how services have been reformed during that period. Uh, and some of it we've we've touched on already in terms of the sort of massive impact on policy, practice and education and focus and approach of working with those groups of people and them not being seen in a holistic way, essentially. Just kind of um, kind of widening that out a little bit then in terms of the holistic view of the individual, is the aim of the criminal justice social worker to prevent reoffending, or is it to help individuals overcome the challenges they're facing, which may or may not actually be related to their offending? I would say both. Okay. I would say that a good criminal justice intervention would do both, um, and there would be different event interventions in order to address uh, those issues. Yeah, I would say both as well. I think I think at the end of the day, it's it, I suppose it comes back to why do you think someone's offended in the first place, or and and or or to you know if we if we did actually talk about preventative work as well, which we don't tend to talk as much about in social work, it would be how do we stop something from happening. Um, so it's there is obviously a requirement to make sure that um, the public is kept safe and that person and the people around them are kept safe. Um, but there's also how do you do that? And I think that's where social work was different back in when I was training. Um, and and it would be interesting to speak to probation colleagues in England about what their experience of that transition has been because it was a system befriend at the beginning. 
And and people are saying to me now that probation, having reunified, um, uh, they went through a huge change themselves in, in terms of a privatisation model. Um, and they've been reunified and they've said themselves that they feel that the assistant befriend never really got lost, but they, they almost had to put it, they just had to do it in a different way. Um, when before it, the targets weren't about the befriending, it was about making sure you saw someone on time. Yeah, I was just thinking back um, to an earlier part of the conversation about um, where, you know, Caroline said that you experienced the youth justice system as being more punitive in terms of bringing young people in at an earlier stage for more minor offences. Um, I think that was definitely the case from sort of 2000, from the establishment of the Youth Offending Service up until probably around 2012 when there was a bit of a shift in agenda. Um, and that was because the Labour government were really pushing for, you know, being tough on crime and the causes of crime. And I think you see that right through this this discussion in terms of what was happening in the probation service um, and what was happening in, in youth justice in terms of young people being brought in, um, essentially on, you know, to have a welfare need met, but it had to be done sort of covertly under the guise of criminal justice. So it was a very well-resourced service at that time, but we were meeting welfare needs under a cr- criminal justice banner, which wasn't helpful to young people. They should have been met elsewhere. I think since the split between social work and probation, unfortunately, there has been a dry, you know, a move away from addressing welfare issues explicitly. And it has been the criminal justice system in England has been more oriented towards addressing crime and the causes of crime as though they are somehow separate um, from the context of people's lives. And I think that has the effect of individualising um, criminal behaviour and making it more about, you know, the offender rather than their circumstances. Um, and if you look at, you know, criminal behaviour in isolation, then you'll never solve it as an issue. Thank you, Helen. You were talking there about welfare issues and preventative interventions that may or may not be happening. Can we look at those in a bit more detail? Caroline, would you be able to talk about the issues that are behind offending, the issues that are part of the environment which maybe cause people to offend? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting question and there's a whole school uh, of thought around, you know, from from the fact that, you know, people are brought up in, in criminalised behaviour and therefore that's what we do, to write to as a, as a response to a particular stimulus such as poverty. Um, to And even some people still believe that some people are just born bad. Um, so, you know, criminologists have been looking at the causes of crime for a really long time. Um, what I've certainly found, and it's across, it's in lots of areas of social work that we get involved when the legislation says that we can get involved. So preventative services such as youth clubs, for example, uh, the community development side, um, children's centres, they're all, you know, they've been increasingly closed. So the spaces where you could help somebody uh, just deal with a crisis um, actually has has moved on. So what I often found was people would would finally come to us when it got so bad um, and also found that rightly so we were trying to divert people away from the criminal justice service, particularly young girls we were trying to divert. Um, and boys were coming in that much a little bit earlier but and then they were having all these services so that when women, uh, young girls started joining youth offending, I often found that there was far more entrenched behaviours and and trauma. Um, and certainly with um, criminal uh, adult services, I certainly remember getting calls from 
men who were perpetrators of domestic violence or concerned about their behaviour. And, and we were having to say, without an order, we can't work with you. So the, it's it's an, it was an unusual situation where, as a team, there isn't a, an adult-in-need team in the same way as a child-in-need team, although I'm sure people and children will say there's even that's now stretched. You An adult-in-need, um, you still need to actually have met some sort of threshold in order to get a service. And if we stick with the example of domestic abuse that you mentioned, what would an early intervention look like in that context? Well, there's a number of programmes around domestic violence. Um, and it's about um, the, the connection that you can have is, is one-to-one conversation, discussion. You can also work with the partner. So a lot of services would prefer to work with a partner, more, more often than not a woman. Um and then there's actually, you know, accredited programmes around working with, with men who are perpetrators of domestic violence. Um, so it's it's one aspect of power and control um, that there's so many others as well. So we work with um, people at all stages, but I would say that's where I would really expect uh, all social workers to understand things like the Bail Act and how to use how the Bail Act works and how to, to use the Bail Act which normally would come under a criminal justice conversation, but is also a very powerful piece of legislation in helping protect victims. Um, so not having that knowledge misses an opportunity to protect. It must leave you in a very difficult situation, though, if you have somebody coming to you who's saying, I'm concerned about my behaviour or what my behaviour might become, and you aren't able to intervene because there is no order, as you said. Like, as a, from a professional perspective, from a, a profession which is, which is based on human rights and, and you know, a very strong ethic, that must be a, a challenging position to find yourself in. Yes, but to be fair, I'm, that's, I would say that's across all of social work. You know, how many times have we heard of families who said they've been asking and asking and asking for help? And we, you know, as a profession, um, we're stretched. And so there are thresholds at which point we would get involved. And even, you know, social workers themselves say, you know, if we'd got involved earlier, could we have made a difference? Um, but it's it's one of those situations where you need to have a... Um, a, a rationale for being involved in a family because it's such a big diff- it's such a big deal um, but also the compulsion to be engaged with us I think that was something that probation moved further into you know there used to be aftercare there used to be an idea that you know once your once your order finished there was a way of actually just supporting you that little bit longer it actually you know it ended in the sense that when your 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 time ran out, so did the service, and that's when we started saying we need to move on into local charities and supports in the community. And that, again, then was met with, well, what's now in the community? So a lot of people would say, thank goodness I finished my order. But the the problems may have become different types of problems because you're supervising somebody for, you know, for short periods of time, but also for quite significant periods of time. And one of the issues you talked about in terms of youth offending, uh, in terms of early intervention prevention, was uh, provision of youth services, but how they have been drastically cut back. We know over the decade of austerity, um, youth services and uh, youth clubs have been drastically cut back across England. However, if we look at youth justice statistics for England and Wales for the year 2020-21, there were 15,800 children who were cautioned or sentenced and that represents a 17% fall since the previous year and surprisingly an 82% decrease over the last 10 years. So 
I don't really understand. That doesn't tie in with what we've been discussing previously about cutbacks in terms of use services. Can you kind of enlighten me a little bit? Because uh, I just don't understand. So um, there's been a real policy shift since youth offending teams were first established around 98, 2000. Um, and initially, under the new Labour um, government, where they were very keen on widening the net and bringing more young people into the criminal justice system, we saw an exponential rise in young people um, being criminalised. Um, what's happened since then is there has been a policy shift um, towards earlier intervention and a greater use of um, things like conditional cautions um, and diversion work. So less young people um, have been brought, you know, formally into the criminal justice system. They've been given more opportunity, as is right, um, to change, you know, to make changes earlier on without being taken to court and prosecuted. So that does account for quite a bit of that shift. Um, it basically represents, you know, a move away from um, seeing it as an appropriate way of um, addressing crime to, to take young people to courts and to charge them with offences. Um, you do see, you know, diversionary activities and earlier interventions um, and a move away from that way of, of relating to young people. If we stay with those Youth Justice Board uh, statistics, there's been an increase in the average time from offence to completion, 219 days in 2020-21 compared to 172 days the previous year. What I'm keen to understand is the impacts that that has on a young person as they wait for the commencement and completion of court proceedings. So if a young person has offended and is awaiting uh, a court hearing, what impact does that have on them, thinking perhaps their, their mental health, their education, quite importantly? Have you any views on that? Um, so again, one of the drivers behind um, the move to a youth offending system um, was to address young people um, hanging around in the system. So they very much um, sought to reduce that time from arrest to sentence because, you know, it's a kind of void time where offending behaviours, you know, and, and the challenges young people are facing is not being addressed. Um, so part of what that lag means is that young people and their families will be uncertain as to the outcome of any um, court decision, which is acutely stressful. It also means they're not receiving the support that they might need from youth offending or social care services um, to look at what's going on. So it does have a number of knock-on effects, really. Um, and we know that that delay is due to the pandemic and the significant court delays arising from that. And it's going to take quite a long time to get back to where we were before. From my experience of working with uh, young people in that sort of situation, it's made them withdraw from education. It's had a, quite a, a negative, detrimental uh, impact on their outlook and some of their relationships as to how much they might invest in those if they think that, you know, they might get remanded or uh, worse, uh, receive a custodial sentence. Um, so, yeah, I think it can just have a globally detrimental effect, really, on their outlook. So I think it is important for those processes to be streamlined and, as has happened, kind of uh, more of a, a steering towards prevention uh, as opposed to waiting until a young person has uh, committed offences. Um yeah, that, that would be uh, my view. Thanks, Wayne. Now, if we move that on a little bit, are there safeguarding concerns for young people who are serving custodial sentences? For sure, yeah. I think it's uh, well documented around some of the, um, the hazards uh, within the secure estate um, in terms of, you know, kind of risk from other young people. Um, there may well be uh, reputation or kind of... Um, 
group or gang or relationship kind of difficulties outside uh, in the community that then transfer into a custodial facility. Um, I know for some young people, just being sent to a particular prison has been enough to really uh, scare them because they know perhaps people already uh, who are in there who may well be waiting for them or who are able to reach them quite easily uh, in a particular facility. So, yeah, I would say, say there are massive safeguarding concerns, possibly more so than in, in the, on the outside in some cases. Yeah, I, I, it's also worth remembering we've got, in, in England, we've got a ridiculously low age of criminal responsibility. So we're talking about potentially children from age 10 and any child that's coming away from a family home, you know, there's a natural inherent risk as a result. And to go into um, an estate that is already struggling to try and make it as therapeutic as possible. What you also end up doing is splitting and breaking any connections they have in the community around, for example, um, if they've got a special educational needs. Um, we know that young people with special educational needs are overrepresented in the in the, the youth estate and the struggle to then have that continuity of support in terms of education. So not only are they physically you know, at risk of potential, you know, um, assault. They're also at risk of having that breakdown in the supports that they actually had in their community. I would say that's the same for adults. You know, we talked about the waiting time to actually get to sentencing. You know, that that's, it becomes a punishment in itself. Um, women, we know, are, are proportionately, disproportionately remanded, for example. Uh, remand is used more often. Um and so criminal justice isn't just what happens in prison, it's what happens around um, and what happens beyond. So even just having a criminal record as a young person, you know, while it can, you know, a criminal record be expunged and, and they, they are allowed to move on, there's still that trauma um, and still that potential stigma. If people are asking, well, where have you been? You know, what what's happened? Um, yes. And, and the, the gap in education. Um, and if you talk about criminal records with adults, you know, that's that's again long term, uh, a whole logics of risk around, you know, what risk does this person present? Um, so it comes back to social workers again, say they're in a children and families team and they're working with a parent with a criminal conviction. Do they know what that then means? Um, and how does that then influence their risk assessment? Let's stay with that issue of trauma. From speaking to social workers who've worked with young people involved in violent crime, you know, I'm aware of the levels of trauma that young people have experienced, either as a result of violence directed against them or their friends, but trauma more widely than just affecting young people. What role do criminal justice social workers have in helping people involved in the criminal justice system, offenders? What role do they have in helping offenders overcome the trauma they've experienced, if any? Um, so I'm thinking particularly in relation to um, young people, um, youth offending teams certainly um, in the youth, well in England have um, strong links often to the mental health service, to the child and adolescent mental health services um, and often will have a named worker to kind of plug young people into. Um, obviously, if the young person's willing, it may be that they're not and that support can be offered to the, to the wider family instead. Um, but I think kind of coming from the perspective of relationship based social work, one of the key benefits I found in working with young people was building a strong, you know, providing a strong, regular um, presence as an adult um, that they could call in on. 
And um, one of the services I was based in was in the in the town centre and young people would just come in even if they didn't have an appointment um, because they were tired, because they were hungry and, you know, would have somewhere, somewhere and somebody to spend time with um, when they needed that. And I think building that trust um, can go a long way in terms of meeting some of those needs. Um, that's not to say that you can heal the trauma or make it go away or that it won't present lifelong issues for that person, um, particularly in the, you know, in the kind of wider context of domestic abuse and poverty um, and some of the other issues that, that we see. Um, but I think providing, certainly providing a kind of strong relationship in a social work context can, can go a long way. Yeah, I would I would agree. Is it we often think, you know, when you ask that question and you immediately think, well, who who do we refer to and who do we actually it's good old fashioned relationship based social work. Um, but the challenge of that is particularly I'm thinking of adult working, is that you're building a relationship where there's also a compulsion to be there. Um a lot of people would say to me actually the compulsion helped them. Um, to to almost no longer have that decision to engage, they they would come along. But what ends up happening in that power dynamic is you have people that are potentially travelling quite significant distances um, and having very short appointments. So what the model that Helen describes of being able to drop in hasn't been something that I've seen in adult sector, um, even just somewhere to get a cup of coffee. Um, it's it, that almost became a health and safety issue. And I think that's where the leakage of that concern over punitiveness. Um, so to talk about that adult's trauma, we, we do, but it's not something that's actually, our, our role is to, within the probation service certainly, was to to um, to enact what the court asked us. So there would be bolt, so you'd have the supervision order, but also you'd have the bolt-ons in connection to different services. But actually what it comes back to is good old-fashioned talking, you know, and not talking therapy, yeah. just talking and getting to know each other and being able to every every week um, make that connection. Yeah, I would echo that. I mean, one of my lasting memories of working at a youth offending team uh, in Sheffield is we used to have a community psychiatric nurse uh, who was linked to CAMS, um, but, you know, she was kind of based within the youth offending team. Uh, and she would um, meet lots of different young people uh, at the offices. Um, and she used to have such a fantastic relationship with a lot of the young people there. And it was very much a kind of matriarchal character. Um, so I think that is important uh, talking, as Caroline was saying, and kind of not necessarily formally as a form of therapy, although that is helpful uh, in, in some cases, but just that uh, being able to offload, I think, and share some of the traumatic experiences that they've had perhaps just informally with, um, you know, such as a community, community psychiatric nurse or a social worker um, or support workers, as there are many um, within the youth offending services and probation as well. Uh, but just encouraging young people really to, uh, to share their issues, I think alleviates some of it. Thank you, Wayne. Caroline, I've heard you mention previously that the majority of women in prison have been convicted of a crime related to poverty, and we have touched on poverty earlier in the conversation. So that statement, that the majority of women in prison have been convicted of a crime related to poverty, could you explain that to me in a bit more detail? Yeah, it it actually links back to what you were saying about the stats about the number of people in youth offending has has dropped. But what it's become is it's concentrated. So I would say in the adult sector, there's the... it's horrible to say this, but it feels like the prison system is the only growth industry at the moment in the UK in the terms of wanting to build more prisons. Um, 
And so crimes of poverty um, often are uh, stealing, theft, but also um, fines and non-payment of fines. Um, it was a ridiculous ex- um, um, statistic previously about women being disproportionately in prison for non-payment of TV licence. And, and it wasn't so much about going to prison because of not paying for a TV licence. It was the fines that, that they then weren't unable to pay. So it was, you know, the idea of prison being kept for uh, the dangerous few um, has certainly not something that I've certainly seen in the the women's sector. Um, and, you know, there's a campaign at the moment about women who are pregnant shouldn't be in, in prison. So if you look at the work of birth companions at the moment, you know, they're very much arguing that women who are pregnant shouldn't be in prison. And when they are, it's it's either related to poverty or trauma or more likely both. So crimes of poverty will be around theft. It can also be around a, a collateral consequences of poverty. So the response to poverty may be around um, drinking or um, getting into into fights or non-attendance um, and not and, or benefits um, or claiming of benefits fraudulently. So there's so many things that people can get into crime, into poverty, and some people believe that poverty is at the root of all crime. So it's um, the thing that I keep coming back to is about the level of um, contact somebody has me- is meant to be commensurate with the rest they present. And that isn't always the case. Um, so statistically, women are overrepresented in the prison estate and yet are not represented at that level in terms of violence. Thank you, Caroline. That was really helpful to clear that up. Now, I'm going to come back to an issue which, which was raised very near the start of the conversation. And it was something that Helen had touched on in relation to social work training. So my final question, are social work students currently receiving sufficient grounding in the skills needed to practice in the criminal justice sector, as wide as it is? I think, unfortunately, probably not. Um, we find increasingly that social work curriculums expand to cover a, a significant range of subjects. Um, they're quite stuffed. Um, so we do our best from an educational perspective to, you know, to tick all the boxes. And um, both myself and Caroline are lecturers at different universities on social work programmes. Um, so in my own experience, criminal justice education is often kind of shoehorned in as a bit of an additional extra um, to social work education and I'll put my hand up and say I'm one of the people shoehorning it in Um, and that means there's an awful lot of um, material to cover with students in a short space of time that can be quite overwhelming. Um, So I'd say some of us are doing our best to keep it on the social work curriculum agenda but because it's not a core part of where people are likely to end up in terms of the workforce and it is sometimes missed and that's something we're trying to kind of examine as part of the criminal justice group. Just um, to come back to what Helen was saying the reality is we don't know we don't know to what extent criminal justice is is part or even considered in terms of social education Um, but we do so that 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 sense of shoehorning um, and a a full um, curriculum already so I know myself and speaking to colleagues that we do find ways of having it included, um, but things that you may not think about. For example, I certainly have an exercise where I talk about end of life care, where a person presents a risk of sexual harm. So our brain injury work that I'm involved in at the moment, where somebody's brain injury means that their behaviour can actually lead them to get into contact with social, um, with police, for example. So 
I think what we would love to do is A, find out how much has been discussed. Um, is there a, a benefit to us working more closely with probation colleagues, for example, in terms of their qualification? Do they understand social work? Do we understand what they're doing? Um, but also try and find um, resources and, and share resources about where it's being discussed and how we can support uh, lecturers to include. At the moment, the curriculum is very much set um, in terms of expectations of things that are covered. Um, but I'm also with Wayne. I'm a generalist. I really believe it's very important that they don't just get taught children. They get taught children in all manner of different aspects, but also adults as well. So I think it would be really interesting to at least find out what's happening. Um, because I don't. I think for 20 years we've possibly had people just continuing with it in the curriculum and not necessarily talking about it. Wayne, Caroline, Helen, thank you so much for spending the last 45 minutes with me. This has been a really interesting conversation. It's been a heavy topic, but it's been really enlightening. Thanks so much for your contributions. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.